And we praise you, Lord, this morning in song with our voices lifted to you. And we pray that you receive it and um, let it be sweet to your ears. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's praise our God for who he is. Make a loud noise, clap our hands. Water you turned into wine. Water you turned into wine. Open the of the blind there's no one like you none like you into the darkness to shine out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you none like you God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God, into the darkness, darkness to shine, out of the ashes we rise, there's no one God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God, let's sing that again, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could the songs of David because they just shout out all kinds of emotions, but um, there's no time better than I think to praise than when we're all together as one body. Let's, let's sing this prayer to our Lord this morning, as the deer panteth for the water.
Sometimes I think that we take for granted how much God loves us and how valued we are. He created me. He created you for his worship. In Psalm 47, it says, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to joy with loud songs of joy to our Lord. For our God, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. And that's why we're here today. And let's just love on him this morning. I love you, Lord. speak to us through your word in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Good to see you. It was a Jesus. <laughs> that was kind of weak. It's not like we're saying, you know, God's name or anything. It was a Jesus. Jesus. All right, welcome. Hey, um good to have you this morning. Uh whether you're online, appreciate uh those of you who are watching online, appreciate you being here. I will say, just uh, for those of you <clears throat> who would desire a little more uh, social distancing, we do have a little bit more room in the uh, first service. We do have chairs in the back for you. We have made next door available as well. And so there's just some places that I know there's, there are some of us that want a little bit more distance, and we are trying to provide that for you uh, as best as possible. Um, <clears throat> a couple things I want to make uh, a few announcements. I think I introduced myself if I haven't already. My name is Jesse. Uh, and I'm part of a great team here that loves the Lord, is committed to uh, biblical teaching, and committed to loving people in our community. And so, uh, welcome, good to have you. If you are new, uh, you're looking to get plugged in, you want to know more, we do have a weekly newsletter that we send out. It's the, really the best way to know everything uh, that's going on. You can find that at sbctrucky.com. Near the bottom of the front of the webpage is a place where you can sign up for that. And if you are new and you want to get connected even further, um, we have a a connect card inside of your program that hopefully you got when you walked in. Fill that out, drop it in the back of the offering box, uh, which sits on the left or right. Uh, for those of you who may be new, we don't pass an offering plate. Uh, it's just free will giving here uh, as you see fit, either, either in the box or online uh, for you. And then um, a couple things that we need. We opened up a couple weeks ago our nursery. Our children's church has been open uh, for a little while. We need some volunteers, so if you're looking to get plugged in, you want to serve somewhere, Joe and Abby Casey, they lead all of our children's programs. 
uh, next door, please connect with them. Uh, he's usually running around next door. You usually don't see him in this building. Uh, same with her, but they're looking for volunteers, and we need some help in that area, so please uh, make note of that. <clears throat> and then before everything kind of went crazy, because I don't know if you know this, but we've kind of had like a, 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 there was like an election, and then there's um, a virus or something I'm sure you've heard about. And so things, things got uh, kind of, you know, weird for a season there. I think actually they're probably still pretty weird. Um, but uh, one of the things that I used to do every Sunday was I would do a ministry moment and a missions moment on Sundays, just to let you know about some things to celebrate uh, that are happening in our church that are, that are neat uh, and good and worth celebrating. Um, Caleb, who preached last week, he did a wonderful job last week, I think. Uh, he preached for me. Yep, give, give him a hand. Um, and uh, it was good for me to have some vacation. Uh, because of COVID and the season that we've been in, I really haven't taken any vacation time at all this year. So it was really good uh, to get away with my family and, and spend some time uh, at the ocean. But uh, he leads our youth ministry, and he wanted to do a thing. He thought he'd get like maybe four or five kids interested uh, in it. And it, basically what he did is he got the kids together, and he said, hey, uh, let's listen to the book of Mark. There's all kinds of really cool ways you can listen uh, to the Bible online now. You can have it wrapped wrapped to you. Uh, you can have it uh, with to music. You can have it with certain accents. And so he played it uh, um, for some kids. He thought maybe five, six kids would show up. Uh, it it take, took about two hours. Over, uh, I think it was over 20 kids showed up to sit in and listen to the book of Mark. And they, uh, they told him afterwards, we want to keep doing it. We want to we do that again. So I think that's pretty neat, something that's happened in our youth ministry. Uh, and then we also support an organization called Hula Napua. Uh, they're out of Hawaii. Uh, she actually, the gal who runs her name's Jessica, she's from this church. She has actually shared here before, and she basically uh, is building uh, a house uh, in Hawaii to help heal uh, those gals that have been in the sex trafficked industry, whether they've been a victim or they've been involved, they've been abused, they've all kinds of pretty gnarly things, and she's building a house to help rehabilitate these girls. She's raised She's not even a fundraiser, uh, but she started this a few years back. She's been working with girls on the island. Sex trafficking is a really big deal in Hawaii. $9 million she's raised, which is incredible. To build this historic piece of property, uh, it's, a, it's, it's basically um, the, the property is on a historic, historic land, which is incredible that she even got it. But she got it. She's been building it. It's needed a lot of construction, uh, and so she's been raising money to do that as well as all the other things that are needed. And she's only $500,000 short, which is really, really incredible. So continue to pray for her. Uh, and uh, if you want to support her, uh, you can do so. You, you just ask us and, and we'll let you know how to get connected there. All right. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter three, you ready to get in the word? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Come on. I need a little more energy here in the room this morning. I, I know you guys are all like, thank you. Thank you. You just kind of... Uh, Oh, this is the junior high kids going to their junior high Bible study. It's not a mass exodus. What? We're getting the Bible? I'm out. <laughs> um, chapter 3. So we've been in, uh, if you haven't been with us uh, so far in this season, we started the book of Timothy really because, especially in this season, um, we felt it would be really important to discuss what the church is and what the church isn't. Uh, and so we're diving into this book, and it's really an incredible story because you got a young guy by the name of Timothy who grew up in a home where uh, his mom was Jewish, his dad was Greek, his dad dies, his mother and grandmother basically raise him uh, in kind of a fractured home, and Paul, who wasn't a Christian, becomes a Christian, becomes a church planner, meets Timothy in, in a place called Lystra, and, and takes Timothy under his wing as a young protege, if you will starts to travel with Timothy all over uh, the, the, the known world at that time, and eventually takes and plants Timothy in the church of Ephesus, which is where this book takes place. And so now you've got this young pastor. Uh, he's single. He's in a church with some older people, and, and Paul plants him there, and then Paul leaves because Paul wants to plant more churches. And, and as he's out planting more churches, Paul, that is, he hears things have gotten weird in the church of Ephesus, right? There's, there's apparently... Uh, some issues with masks in the church, and there's some political things going on. <laughs> things have gotten weird in Ephesus. And so Paul writes back to Timothy, and he tells Timothy, okay, in the midst of the weirdness, 
Stick it through. Keep doing the work of the ministry. Don't leave. Don't bail on your church. They need you. He starts to talk about what it is to have a healthy church, what it is to have a bad church, how to rebuke false teachers and false doctrine. And a few weeks ago, I had a message that that we labeled or titled, Good Church, Bad Church. Chapter 3 is going to be titled this morning, Good Pastor, Bad Pastor. Uh, And so we're going to discuss kind of my job description really this morning, what it is to be a pastor Uh, But I'm also going to try to make it very applicable to you uh, as a Christian as well. But let me just talk about again, why is Paul talking so much about the church? Okay, the church is important. Uh, In fact, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said of the church, he said, the church is the dearest place on earth. Prince of preachers, great preacher, a man who loved the church. Actually, uh, it's probably been said of Charles Spurgeon, he had the first megachurch uh, had one of the greatest, uh, broadest reaches in the history of the church. And he said, of the church, it's the dearest place on earth. It's to be the light of the world. Uh, Spurgeon actually even goes on and he talks about how, how if you find a perfect church, don't join that church because you'll ruin that church. And he goes on to basically say that the church is not for uh, uh, the healthy, but it's an institution, a, a sanctuary for sinners who are saved by grace. He goes on and says that, that, that this, this place, this church is the place in which we grow. It's a nursery for the weak, that we are children who are to grow strong within the church. He says it's Christ's family. That's what we are. And so we've had to discuss this idea of the church because the church is important. And, and, and the sad state of the church in the United States is that the church is closing 3,700 churches nationwide every single year. Churches die all of the time either because of an inability to reach the next generation or because church planting in this uh, current state is almost impossible. It's difficult. Uh, I've known several church planters who have not had success, some who have had a little success. But the church is important because ultimately, Paul actually tells Timothy, it's the buttress of truth. It's the place that we find truth. It's the place where we find salvation. It's the place where the Bible says that we grow by hearing the word of God. Faith, Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God preached. So the church is a big deal. It's this dearest place on earth. Now, the reason I'm taking a moment to dive into this is because I think uh, in the culture we're in, in the place that we're at, we have to have an understanding of ultimately what the church points us to. The church ultimately points us beyond ourselves into Christ himself and to the life thereafter. It, It gives us a picture of heaven, if you will. Now, if you don't have a picture of heaven, I was reminded of this on social media this week. You know, every now and then, um, social media surprises me. It shouldn't because it's social media, right? But I posted a simple picture, just a picture, a few words up top, and it was a picture of, of a lion with a crown on his head with a greater symbol than a donkey and an elephant. Now, to me, I look at that and I go, simply said, right? Jesus is greater than any political party. Jesus is the king. And sure enough, there's some responses on there questioning, why is this, even, why is this here? What, what does this mean? And, and this is the world in which we live in. And, and by and large, my, my approach to social media, almost 100% of the time, is when people start interacting on social media, I don't. I just let people say what they need to say. Because it's usually fruitless, but I couldn't help myself. And so I just wrote two different things in my responses to some of the comments. The first one comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And it says this, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Listen carefully to verse 2. Set your minds not on things, set your minds, I'm sorry, on things that are above, not on things on earth. Why? Because you have died. Your life is hidden within Christ. So put to death everything that is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, again, I'm going to tie this into good leadership. And part of what I'm doing, I think, is good leadership. Guiding, preaching the truth, pointing you to Jesus, pointing you to the gospel. Because we are in a season where there's change coming. It seems as if we'll have a new president in office. And with that comes some fear and some angst, especially amongst the evangelicals, especially amongst the church. There are those who are afraid that maybe our religious liberties 
uh, will be at risk. There are those that are worried about what kind of taxes may come, what will happen with health care. There is a myriad of concerns, all of which, by the way, are earthly concerns. They're not heavenly concerns. In fact, the Bible specifically states, regardless of who is in office, if you remember, this is in chapter 2 of Timothy, you are to pray graciously for your leaders. Whoever your president is, whoever the vice president is, whoever is in Congress, whoever is in the Supreme Court, you're also to be praying, by the way, for Pastor Jesse. You're to pray, regardless of what you think. Then I quoted this from C.S. Lewis. Right? Normally, you've heard me say this before. If, if something sounds really good and you don't know who said it, just say it was C.S. Lewis. <laughs> C.S. Lewis says, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world, Christians who did the most for the present world are precisely those who thought most of the next. He then went on and said this, and I believe this is true today. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. See, if we're going to to be the church, the buttress of truth, if we're going to shine, if we're going to bring unity, then we have to be men and women who lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ above all else. We have to be men and women who have our minds not seated in the things of earth, but seated in heaven. Regardless of what happens, it's all good, man. One day your retirement's going to be gone. One day your cars are going to be gone. One day your house is going to be gone. One day you're going to be gone. This is just a blip on the radar, and we're to proclaim and point people to Jesus through it all. And you know what else? You know what really sets us apart in a season like this? We're not freaking out. I'm not freaking out. And I, and I have to say this because I know some of you are, and I know, I, I, I know it because I see it, I, I sense it. You're worried, and, and I'm encouraging you because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, worry not. Why? Because of exactly uh, what Spurgeon said, we're part of the dearest place on earth. No matter what, we will be able to continue to gather, even under persecution, even if we are pushed to the corners of the earth, the gospel can't be held back. Christ can't be held back. So Paul understands, uh, just like we do, that the culture is weird. Things are hard. You're going to have people on the outside pushing in, telling you what the church is to look like. Remember, in this particular uh, time, Nero is the leader. Nero literally set Christians on fire so that they could be candles for his parties. That is the backdrop in which Paul is writing these things. And so he says within the church, he's telling Timothy within the church, you need some good men who aspire and desire to be an overseer within the church. So this is talking specifically about leaders within the church, okay? Elders, uh, if you do a study, you'll see that there's several different words that are used. They all mean the same thing. The word shepherd, the word elder, uh, the word overseer, Uh, and the word pastor. So our church, I'm a pastor. I'm an elder of our church. I know that sounds weird if you're not used to that language, what an elder is. An elder is like a pastor. There are several other men who are part of our elder team. Brad Beers is one of those elders. You've heard him preach before. Wayne is, Doug Brown is, Russ Grant is, John Drollinger is uh, an elder as well. These are men who help care for and shepherd and oversee the church. Now, the reason uh, that this, a message like this could get a, a little bit hard is because it may be, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not a leader, I'm not a pastor, and I'm not an overseer, and I don't want to be. And I would say, congratulations to you, you have chosen wisely. <laughs> However, you're not totally out of the park. You're not out of the woods. Because this is not only a grid, and take note of, of the, the language that's used here, right? You're, you're supposed to be all of these things. They're all character issues. None of them say anything about your intelligence, okay? So you can be dumb in a pastor, I suppose. And hopefully we don't pick dumb pastors. But they're all character issues. They're character qualities. And as we read these character qualities, they're not only a grid for pastors, they are a grid for you. Why do I say that? Because the Bible's really clear that you are to imitate your leaders, Paul actually literally says, of those under his authority, he says, look at my life, look at all the things I've done, look at what I've done well, and imitate my faith. Imitate it. 
He actually says in one place in the Bible, he says, consider the outcome of your leader's life. Look at, look at the, the results. Look at the kind of life they live and think about it. Weigh it out in your head. Is it worth duplicating? Now, in December, I shared this a few weeks ago. You don't have to applaud me. It's not that big of a deal, but it's a big deal, but not that big of a deal. I'll, I'll have been married 17 years to the same woman. Okay? Yeah. Same woman. Yeah. Well, it's nothing if you think Wayne, Wayne just recently celebrated not that long ago 50 years to the same woman. To the same woman. All right. You group here, you're stoked. The rest of you don't care. Um, 50 years. That's amazing. I'm not even 50 years old yet. Gee, many Christmas. And this morning when I was preaching this, Wayne had his arm around Sandy. He was whispering into his ear, into her ear. And, and they just, you could tell they just still really love each other. And by the way, I really love my wife. I believe my wife really loves me. Either that or she does a great job faking it. But we love each other. And I can tell you, we have good marriage. And the Bible says that one of the qualities of a good leader is that their marriage is good. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be married to be a leader, but you should look at that pastor, that leader, and go, he should be a one-woman man. He, he, he has integrity with his wife. He loves his wife, and he cares for his wife, and he leads his wife because he understands that not only is he a husband, to a certain degree, he's also a shepherd of his wife. He's to care for her. He's to lead her. He's to teach her the word of God. He's to guide her along as she does the same for him. So we, we look at our leaders and we say, is that something I want? Is that something I desire to be? And you should desire to be it. Not only because you're supposed to duplicate it because it's healthy for you, because leaders are just supposed to be really good Christians, and hopefully you want to be a really good Christian as well. Hopefully you want to proclaim the gospel, know Christ, be an example, but the Bible actually pushes even harder on this. 1 Peter as well as Revelation, 1 Peter chapter 2, says this, you're a chosen race, a royal what? You're the priesthood. You're also a priest. So even though Paul is saying specifically, a church needs shepherds and leaders and pastors, and I, I, will sh I could show you, I don't have time this morning, they should be financially taken care of by the local church, that they should be paid for that if the church can afford it. You have leaders of the church, you need those leaders, but you are also a leader. You're a royal priesthood. You exemplify and carry Christ wherever you go. Revelations uh, 1, 5 through 6 says, He loves us, He's freed us from our sins, amen, but He's made us a kingdom of priests to God the Father. Okay, so all of these qualifications, they're not just for me. They're also for you. They're character qualities for you. Whether you're an elder, a pastor, a lay leader, whatever it is, these things matter to God in your relationship. So look at the first one, verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. So this is true. This is a good thing. If anyone aspires, see that word aspire? You can circle it and, and recognize that a good pastor, a good leader, has aspirations. They want they want to help push the church into new areas and to do new things and to reach out and, and to, to new people groups that, that you've got to want to do that. And you also got to want to love your church, right? It, it would be a, a horrible thing for me to come up here and not love you. I, I'd be disqualified, but I do. I love you. I love you enough to say things that I know you don't want to hear. I, I love you enough to, to guide you and preach texts like last week, which is a tough topic to preach on. So your pastors need to love the church and aspire for it, but take note of this. It's a noble task. It's work. That, that language there literally is, it's work. You're going to sweat a little bit. You're going to have to work at this. In fact, later in 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy this, for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. That, that's the language that's used here. You've got to self-control. You've got to be able to control your emotions. You've got to have things in check. You can't just blast out with, with your mouth, whether online or in public. You've got to be careful with your language. He says, be sober-minded. And then listen to what his next instruction is. Endure suffering. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Colossians actually says that you should do this with struggling with all energy, which means two things. One, your leader should be a hard worker, but you should also have aspirations and be willing to work hard at the gospel as well. This is a hard thing to do. I remember um, when we were transitioning in leadership 
over three years ago from Wayne to myself. And there are a few people in the church, they, they've said, you know, they said a couple things like, this is so good for Jesse, you know, he, he's going to be, uh, he wants this leadership, he wants to, you know, this is a good thing. And, and I was trying to communicate, like, like, understand that to be the lead pastor isn't to lord over it, over people. It isn't to take authority over others, it's the call to die. That's the language that I used. It's a call to die. It's a call to live sacrificially. You remember in, in this passage, it says, it says that, that um, uh, I forgot what it says. <laughs> um, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, uh, able to teach, sober-minded. And in another place, the Bible literally tells leaders that they're the servants of the church. It says in the passage here, if you remember, right, be a one-woman man. Your marriage matters. And the best passage on marriage is Ephesians chapter 5, where it says that husbands are to love their wives as what? As Christ loves the church. That's a sacrificial dying kind of love, right? For the most part, when you guys have been able to make decisions during COVID-19 in the election, for the most part, you've had to think about your immediate family. Let's say that extends to five, six people. Every decision that we've had to make here has been for hundreds of people. And then how that extends into the rest of the community as well. It means that you've got to think about a lot of different things and a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different opinions and a lot of different biblical convictions. In fact, I shared this with you a little while back. Not only are 3,700 churches closing every year, they're actually expecting a mass exodus of good Bible-preaching teachers to quit the ministry in the next couple years. Because of the political divide and the theological divide, it's not sustainable. And if I'm quite honest, I had a conversation with my wife where I literally said, said to her, I said, you know, you know me. You know what I signed up for. I signed up to preach the gospel and to preach the word of God to God's people. I didn't sign up to debate mass. I didn't sign up to be a virus expert. I didn't sign up to be a political expert. I signed up to talk about Christ. And the pressure of the church, even inside the church, is you've got to talk about this stuff. You've got to bring it up. You've got you've to pick a side. You've got to pick a side. Why do I got to pick a side? I want to pick Christ. That's all I want. I want the gospel. I want to know and resonate and sit with and be in love with the fact that God has forgiven me of my sins. I am seen as a child of God, and you're part of the family of God. That's what I want. And it's hard to be in a season where everybody wants you to be something other than what you want to be. I didn't sign up for this. So we've had to make that and deal with that and work through that and realize this is who we're going to be. Good leaders stand on the gospel. That's what Timothy is being told by Paul. Stand against false teaching. Don't allow these things to divide the church. Don't allow people to upset the apple cart. Stay within the truth, the buttress of the truth. John Wesley, in regards to this noble task, this great work, this great labor, this call to die, he says this, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen, but such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. You know, our job as a church is not to set up a political kingdom. It's not to set up our own personal opinion. It's to set up the kingdom of God. The church is to reflect what heaven would be like, which includes all kinds of people, which, let me, let me berate my points some more here. I told you in these sermon series, because I'm a pastor, you're going to hear my heart a little bit. I want you to look at the text because I want to make sure you know that when I go on some of my little tangents that you understand that I'm trying to connect them with the text and not my own personal opinion. Um, <clears throat> where is it? Verse, if you go to verse 7, please, of chapter 3, speaking of a leader, speaking of a good Christian, moreover, he must be well thought of by who? Outsiders. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Th that means that the pastor needs to know people who aren't Christians. Right? So, so there's two tensions that I have to walk through all the time as a pastor, and, and I think my background has allowed me to do it better than some. Not better than all, definitely not an expert, but, but I, I, I love Christians. I really do. I do like you. Most of the time. Most of the time. I really enjoy you. And, and some of you I enjoy more than others, if I'm being quite frank. 
And don't take that personal. But, you know, I've always really, really loved hanging out with non-Christians. And that comes out sometimes in my preaching. I care about people who don't know Jesus. And and I came from a place of a lot of people who didn't know Jesus. I mean, the, the kind of people that my family hung around were not Christians, very not Christians. Right? And so I enjoy the, 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 the people who don't know the Lord. And what that's caused for me in my walk with God as a leader is I rub shoulders with Christians all the time. And so I hear what you believe. I hear what you're thinking. I hear how you're processing Facebook and social media and news and the election and mask and no mask. I know exactly how you feel. And then I rub shoulders with my friends who don't know Jesus, and I know where they feel too. I know how they're thinking. I know why they think the way they think, and I'm sympathetic to it. In fact, I had a conversation with a friend just the other day. He said, I, uh, I really would like you to, to meet with a family member of mine who doesn't know Jesus because I think that you'll reach that person. I've been told that on occasion. You're, you're, the, you're the pastor to talk with non-Christians, which sometimes makes me feel weird too. Like, what does that mean? Does it mean that you think I'm a non-Christian too? No, I, I think... It's the understanding of I, I understand. I'm not going to, to get that person, that outsider, to believe the way that I believe in that conversation. That's not your job. Your job isn't to meet somebody and then to convert them to all of your ideologies. Because what's said in our nation now is that you're not, unless you're a Republican, you're not a Christian. If you think any otherwise, that you're just not a Christian. What would the church look like? What would your life look like? If the table was big enough to sit down with people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of of nationalities, all kinds of, what would it look like if if someone could sit at the table and wear a mask and no one cared and someone could sit at the table and and they didn't wear a mask and nobody cared and what would it look like if we sat down and there was a Democrat here and a Republican here and all we really cared to talk about, all we really cared to resonate with is just the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would that look like? It should look like Sunday mornings. Because God is not concerned with changing your morality and and the way that you think right away in your faith. He isn't. He just isn't. I've I've seen it long enough, man. I've seen people come to Jesus, and and they're still smoking weed every day. But they love Jesus. And no one needs to come around and say, you know what, man? If you're a real Christian, you just won't smoke weed. You don't even have to talk about it right now. That person's just stoked that they're forgiven of their sin. And then they realize, you know what? If I'm addicted to this substance and this substance is keeping me from engaging with God, they start to realize on their own, I'm gonna give this thing up. That doesn't mean you don't talk about it. But you don't talk about it on day one. Maybe not even day two. You journey with that person. You walk with that person. What would it look like if you were willing to engage with outsiders in such a way that that people started to come to faith and, and, and they didn't have to reject the church because the church felt so rejecty? No one should ever walk in this room and feel judged. That's why for those of you who are wearing this mask this morning, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Because there have been people who've said, I can't come because I feel like everyone's looking at me because I'm wearing a mask. That breaks my heart. I don't care how you come. I can't turn anybody away. This is the church of Jesus Christ. I want you to come as you are. Because that's exactly what the gospel is. Come as you are, broken, bruised, battered, filled with distress, not looking so pretty, and find the forgiveness and the reconciliation and relationship that Jesus offers. Some of you remember the great story. It's been told so many times. It's like a legend now. Remember when Jim Rippey got saved and he became a Christian because he was on top of a mountain. He's a snowboarder, professional snowboarder. He's on top of the mountain. He's looking over uh, how beautiful everything is, and he realized how beautiful it was with the snow and nature, and he thought, there has to be a God. This didn't just poof out of nowhere. There's a, there's a designer. So he starts coming to see her Bible church. He becomes a Christian, invites Pastor Wayne over to his house to go through some Bible study stuff, and so Pastor Wayne walks into the house. There's the coffee table. He opens up his Bible, and in order to do so, he's got to push aside the largest bong Wayne has ever seen. Let's do some study, yo. Just put this to the side. And then Wayne proceeded to have a conversation with Jim about who Jesus was. Never even talked about the ginormous world record breaking bong on the table. 
and later through relationship and through the gospel and through biblical teaching, Jim repented of certain sins. He's a strong Christian, strong proclaimer of the gospel. We've had people come to the church over the years who started coming to the church, finding out who Jesus was, and they were dating. They were living together. And none of the you know, pastors knew they were living together. People knew they were living together. This, happened, this has happened on several different occasions. And, and nobody said, hey, you know what? The Bible says that, that sex is for marriage and that you should commit and, and you should buy in because marriage is one of the greatest proclamations of the gospel. It's beautiful. We believe all those things, but nobody hammered them on it. Nobody made them feel guilty because of it. And on their own, through their own walk in faith and through their own relationship with Jesus, he graciously brought those couples along. I can think of at least two. And they realized we've got to make this right. We want to get married. One of those couples got married with Wayne right here at, the, at this pulpit on a Sunday morning. After years of living together, not thinking they ever were going to get married. Is marriage important? Yes. Is sin, should it be talked of and, and repented of? Amen. But when we talk about outsiders, we're long-suffering and we're gracious. We're gracious to those who don't think like us. Right, again, I'm all over the place in the text. Some of it's on purpose, but he says literally in this particular passage, if we read it again, if anyone aspires this, they're going to want to want it, an overseer uh, of this noble task, a husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. Here's the next one I want to talk about here for a moment, hospitable. Now that gets lost. You think hospitable, well, that's having people over to my house and giving them food. Yeah, kind of. Hospitable, hospitable is a very unique word in the Bible that, that is different than how you and I typically think of it. Hospitality in the Bible has nothing to do, listen carefully now, nothing to do with what you do with believers. Did you hear me? Being hospitable in the biblical text has nothing to do with being kind to believers. When you find this word in the New Testament, hospitable literally is the Christian, the leader extending grace, extending kindness to the sojourner, to the alien, to the ostracized, to the poor, and to the non-believer. Can I just ask you a question? How good are you at opening your home to people who are Christians? That's one thing. That's great. But the Bible really lifts up how good are you at having people over at your house that don't know Jesus? I mean, if you, you want to you know the kind of person you want to invite to your house, I can tell you right now, I guarantee you that you can find somebody super easy right now. You're going to have to do it quick. You're going to have to probably do it in the next week or two. But it's a super easy way to share the gospel, to be gracious with somebody. Say, maybe I don't know somebody who doesn't think, think the way I do. You can. It's going to be real easy. All you have to do is drive through your neighborhood, and in somebody's yard is going to be a sign for the person you didn't vote for. Right? You drive through Sierra Meadows, you're going to find some Trump signs, you're going to find some Biden signs, you disagree with whoever, this is what God's calling you to do, this is the gospel, this is grace, this is God's love and radical action, knock on their door and just say, I would really enjoy having a meal with you. I'm going to buy you lunch, I'm going to buy you dinner, and for God's sake, don't try to convert them. That's like the dumbest thing you can do. Sit down and have a conversation with them. Sit down and get to know them. Sit down and understand why they think the way they think. They're, they're not as bad as you think. They're really not. When was the last time you sat down and just listened? Our culture does not lift up listening and being teachable and being faithful. See, it says in here as well, as for an elder, which is unique as opposed to a deacon. We'll get to deacons next week. They must be willing to teach. Not willing to teach, rather, but they must be able to teach. That doesn't mean they have to all be preachers, but it means that they have an ability to communicate the gospel, an ability to communicate doctrine and theology in a way that people can understand, either on a one-on-one conversation or two-on-three or whatever it may be, or in front of a large crowd. The best way to say this is good Christians or good leaders are good readers. One of the things I do, uh, the last season I went through it, I went through, um, I wanted to read some books on uh, church growth. And so I got my own preferences, right? I do. I don't know if you know that, but I, I do have preferences. And, uh, and so what I, I did is I, I, I read three books on church growth that I, all from authors that I prefer, guys that I like, 
guys that I respect, guys that I really honor, guys that, that I believe are sound theologically and sound doctrinally. I trust them. Uh, but one of the things that, that I want to be careful of is, is it's sometimes all, all that does if I do that, now I'm, I'm in year almost 20 of ministry, it just reinforces stuff I already know. And so I don't really grow and, and I don't really get challenged. And so one of the things I do now is I actually will go over and pick two or three books from authors that I, I probably wouldn't even want to share with you who they are. And I'll read them. And ultimately, then I'll, I'll hear that, and I'll hear this, and then I'll read Scripture, and, and I'll make sure that it's sound to Scripture, and then I end up with some ideologies over here, some convictions over here, and some solid convictions over here, which makes me hopefully more rounded. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is that you're on, none of those things, none of those things train you to learn. No, listen carefully. Nobody's getting saved on Facebook. You know that, don't you? Nobody's getting saved in your comments. Here's the other thing. No one's getting more mature in Christ either. No one's growing in their faith on social media. Faith does not grow on the internet. It doesn't mean you can't grow by listening to a podcast. It doesn't mean you can't grow from listening online like several people are doing uh, this morning. It, it means that, that if you try to engage in that level, you're not going to do it. You need to meet with people. You've got to rub shoulders with Christians who are more mature than you. That's why if you're a young person, he specifically says in the text, if you remember, for you're young, you shouldn't become a leader. But rather, in another passage, it tells us, I think it's in 1 Peter, that young men should submit to their elders that they would grow. Young men need older men in their lives that's going to train them in godliness. And by the way, elder doesn't mean older. I've met 20-year-old Christians who are far more mature than 60-year-old Christians, especially in the way of the gospel. And so here I am in this position as a leader with this noble task that God has given me on what is the greatest place on earth, which is the church, not Disneyland. The church is the greatest place on earth. And a leader has to have the ability to reach people for the gospel. And so do you, by the way. The world is dependent upon it. There's four different categories here that matter for the leader. His relationship to God, his relationship to his wife, his relationship to his kids, and his relationship to outsiders. Those relationships matter, and it's always from the top down. So here's the encouragement as we get ready to kind of close here in the, first, uh, in the next few moments. Sorry. How do you plan on changing the world in the next years ahead? How are you going to change, how, how are you change the community of Truckee in the next several years that are ahead of us? Because the, the time is ripe. We're divided as a nation. You have the left and you have the right. You have riots, peaceful protests. You have governors you like, governors you don't like. You have states you like, states you don't like. Presidents you like, presidents you don't like. I mean, it is never, I've never ever had to engage in political talk uh, like this ever, ever in my, the history of, of my own ministry. I've never had to do it. People had their ideologies and they kind of kept them to themselves and you know, this and that. And what if, what if you were as loud about the gospel as you are about your politics? What would the church look like if you talked about the forgiveness of sins and Jesus being God and Savior? What if you meditated on the fact that you've been forgiven as much as you've been meditating on the fact that we're going to have a new president? What if, what if you dove in to the love of God the way that you've been diving into CNN and Fox? Ways you've been scrolling through your social media to find the next thing that is happening. You know, I've been in an incredible amount of peace in the last few months. Nothing like compared to March. March was a, boy, March could just go to somewhere else. They just can leave and never come back. April and May, oof, oof. Napping, overeating, worrying, 
trying to figure out what to do in the church. And something, something eventually clicked. I was just going to talk about Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to mention politics, but in the light of the gospel. I just want to talk about Jesus. I don't want to play games. I don't want to debate things that aren't going to matter in two years. I don't want to even talk about things that are going to change in the next four years. I just want to talk about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to be known by Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to be known by Jesus. And I want our conversations and our worship to be surrounded around that. I want to see you grow in Christ. I want to see your faith be larger than it was several months ago. I really want to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. I really want to see people who don't belong in the area because they're from the Bay Area come and know Jesus within our church. I want to see people come to fall in love with the God who came to love them. And then I want to sit back and watch how Jesus matures them into the people that Jesus wants them to be. Because you know the greatest job of a leader is to take people from God's point A to God's point B. Not your A and not your B. But whatever God has for them. I just end with one last story. We've got a guy next door, a lot of you know him. His name's Joe Casey. He's leading children's ministry. Joe Casey went through a very ugly divorce, and he basically was addicted to drugs. And through a series of events, he found his way through Sierra Bible Church. He met with Wayne. Wayne was the senior guy at the time. And like I said earlier, there's kind of something about me that kind of attracts rough people. So Wayne said, you need to go talk to Jesse. So... Joe came into my office. We started talking about Jesus. As we talked about Jesus, a few months went by. He became an intern. His internship went by. became an intern again. And now he's next door as our children's director. He's working on possibly getting ordained because he wants to counsel and continue to lead people to the Lord. You know, I never, ever pushed on him in a way that he wasn't ready for. Just journeyed with him until God said, it's time for you to be in ministry. And there were times I told him early on, you're going to be in ministry. He's like, no. I was like, yeah, I said the same thing. (laughs) But God gets you. Would you stand with me as the worship team comes up? We honor the Lord and hope and pray that God makes us into the leaders he wants us to be. Lord, you, um, you are an amazing God if we could just get our eyes off of all the things that are around us and just on you. Thank you, Lord, that this season has been incredibly difficult, but thank you for the peace you've given me in recent months. And thank you, Lord, that that peace has come from getting my eyes off of all these other things and just getting back to the simplicity of the word and back to you. I know there's people in the room this morning, I'm sure there are those who are online, that they're filled with anxiety and fear. Maybe some of them haven't even had a chance to interact with other people in the last several months. Lord, I would pray that you would heal them, that you would remove their anxiety that they don't have to fear, they don't have to fret. Lord, give them the ability to see you. I think of the verse that was posted on one of our sites earlier this week, where Paul prayed for the church, that the eyes of the church would be enlightened to the promises and the inheritance that we have in Christ. What we need is a reminder of. We need the blinders lifted off of our eyes to be reminded of the goodness that's in you. That you hold eternity in your hands and you also hold our souls in your hands. And nothing can be snatched from your powerful hands. 
So now we give you honor, Lord. We present ourselves before you, that you would mold and shape our souls into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go out this week, um, may you ask the Lord to fill your life and look up and think about not this temporary home, but our life eternal with him. And let's focus on that hope and share that love of Christ with our family, with our friends, with our co-workers, and let him fill you with his joy and let that just exude out as we proclaim God's love to those that don't know him. Let's sing together about our Lord on his throne, for he is king of all the earth, as scripture said. I see the Lord.
Oh 